Hi, Anne. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? I am. Uh, I'm doing well. We are yeah. back after yeah. a bit of a hiatus. Yeah, I, the doctor's looking at my hiatus right now, <laughs> and uh, I'll have the X-rays tomorrow. It's inflamed. <laughs> Today, um, we're going to be talking about the CNE's author Federico Tozzi, T-O-Z-Z-I, um, who is known for short stories and novelle. So, sort of. Um, Partly they're they're short, I think, because he mostly wrote for literary magazines, which tended to be serials or you know shorter shorter stories. Um, he was born eighteen eighty three, born in Siena, and he had a kind of an interesting childhood. He was mm-hmm. first of all, I mean, he was the first of his parents' children to survive to to survive childhood out of eight. I think he had eight siblings that preceded him that didn't make it. So his um, parents were a bit um, attentive to him. I think that that's for sure. His father also named Federico Tozzi called Gigo, G-H-I-G-O, was from outside of Siena and kind of made his, his like a small fortune, not really a fortune at all, but he ran a, a restaurant and an inn in Siena called Il Sasso. And it was funny because in preparing for this podcast, I was thinking, Il Sasso, the restaurant sounds so familiar. And I had to go back through my photographs from the last time I was in Siena in 2019. And sure enough, I had dinner at Il Sasso, which is still there to this day, you know, over a hundred years later. And it was delicious. <laughs> um, his mother was always very sickly. She had epilepsy and she she died in 1895. So Totsi was only about 12 years old. He was, as they say, he was thrown out of the best schools in Siena. He was, well, I mean, one you know, when he was young, was actually that year that his mother died. So it's possible that certainly the circumstances of what was going on at home were led to him being so disruptive disruptive in school. Then he went to another school and kind of was a mess there and got kicked out of there. And then he also studied in a technical school in Siena and Florence. So he had kind of a disorganized education. Mm. You know, this is not a classical education. Despite that... He was a a huge and passionate reader. He was a patron of the the library, mm. the public library of Siena. And that's really, I think, really, that's where he got his, this literary education, at least. Um, he he uh, began writing poetry in the early 1900s. So he's in his 20s at that point. And he... He didn't real. I mean, a lot of he began work for, but he was working on the railroad. This is what we were laughing about. Right. Well, because that's just a complete side note. My um, my vote for the replacement of the American national anthem is that I, I think um, the Star Spangled Banner should be replaced with "I've been working on the railroad." Just just consider that, dear listener. Yeah. Just ponder uh, that. Weirder things have happened in yep. this country. Yep. Um, there's a there's a dance you so can do along he, with it. He was working on the railroad all the live long day, mm. and then his father died, so he was needed to take take over that Isaso, this restaurant and this inn, and and run it. Not certainly not a. I mean, neither the railway nor this restaurant were, were jobs that he was particularly 
passionate about. Um, he, he did, though, he was still writing this poetry. In 1911, published his first book of poetry. And um, also that same year, I should go back to that same year, 1908, when his father died, is also the year that he marries. And he he has a, several of his books talk about love affairs that are before mm-hmm. he married, perhaps also after. And there's a, there's a, actually a very strong autobiographical element to his books. At the same time, they are, I don't know, um, they're very modern. You know, they really are modernist Italian, an example of Italian modernism in, in this, his early, these early 20th century. He wasn't particularly well known as a writer during his life. Um, but he wrote, as I said, these short stories, um, Con gli occhi chiusi, With Eyes Closed, Bestie, Beasts, Tre Croci, Three Crosses, Il Podere, uh, The Farm. And he began to be known a little bit more. Uh, around 1917, a famous critic named Giuseppe Borghese sort of discovered him or began to promote him. And he caught the attention of Pirandello, who we talked about many episodes ago. So he attracted the attention of Pirandello, who really promoted him and, and supported him. Um, so he was beginning to gain some attention, and then he died. So he died in 1920. He was only 37 years old. It was the um, that the the flu of that period, mm-hmm. influenza, which developed into pneumonia. His writing recalls other authors of the of that, that time period, James Joyce. Kafka, Svevo, um, who Italo Svevo we haven't talked about yet, but um, we'll do an episode on Trieste. We'll have to talk about Italo Svevo. Thomas Mann, we talked about with our, our Venice episode. So he has a tendency to have these kind of psychological investigations in his works, but there's a lightness to to them. They're kind of, we were trying to decide if they're sort of funny, sad, or sad, funny, because they're a little bit of both. In the same way, I would say Kafka is in, well, not all, but some. But Kafka's funny. Yeah. Kafka's humor is underrated. And he's also, you know, he's marked by a real succinctness of of writing that he he doesn't go on and he's not, doesn't go on and on with, um, he, he just says he's very laconic mm-hmm. in his writing. So that's Federico Tozzi. I, for this episode, we, we only read a short story. I don't know why it took us so long to put it together, but we read a short story. Maybe, Jim, you want to give a, a brief summary? Sure. Well, I, I, I don't want to give a brief summary, but I will. I'm doing this under duress. I'm actually blinking out Morse code right well, that now. Well, blinking in podcast doesn't work I know, work very it just well. does not work. But I'd be glad to. Um, I don't know about a summary, but I'll, I'll sort of talk a little bit about my read of it. So the, the story is, uh, the English title is A Bender. Um, Zbornia, I think is Una the, Spornia. Una is that the title? Is the, is the title, is the Italian title, which is really, really just means a drunk, drunkenness, right? A big, a big drunk. The big um, trunk. I, and, do you want to um, go ahead and mention the the collection I, that this oh. is from? Just because it, it's a book you may find in a library. Um, I think it's out of print, but you might be able to find a 
a copy? Yeah, on- so so the book is uh, Italy, a Traveler's Literary Companion. It's edited and translated by Lawrence Venuti. Uh, it's got a bunch of great stories in it. I've, um, it's kind of nice because I think it's a, a way to discover authors that you may not have heard of. And then you might go, for, for instance, Federico Tozzi, and then you might go off and read some of their other writing. Although I have to say that Tozzi is not particularly well, tra- I mean, there's not a whole lot of Tozzi in translation. Mm-hmm. There is a collection of short stories of his short stories called Love in Vain, which is translated by Minna Proctor. Um, I'm not sure. I think that you could, it's one of those things that you would have to look for in a library or, um, or perhaps you could find online. All right. All right. So anyway, sorry. I interrupted. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The story. <laughs> yeah, we're just, we're just losing it. The story begins as he's turning 40, as the narrator is turning 40. And Which sounds so young to me now. Oh, I don't think it sounds young. It's, it's, <laughs> I don't think it sounds young when you say, I'm thinking of marrying somebody. Well, so it's, right. he, he, he's the, the narrator sounds, yeah. If, if this reminds me of, of anything, I, I mean, I can see sort of the Kafka and the sort of detachment. When you talk about laconic, there's a kind of detachment that I do associate with someone like, uh, like Thomas Mann. Um, but, the narrator, if any, if he reminds me of anyone, he reminds me of, uh, of Benjamin in The Graduate because <laughs> yeah. he, he had four, but, but an older Benjamin, because he announces at the beginning of the story that, um, the landlady from whom he's rented uh, a place, um, I think se- several years ago, he's going to marry her. He's going to go back to the place he's he used gonna- to live in. And marry his old landlady. He's and gonna, and old, by old, I, I mean both former and also old. She's older than he is, right? Yeah. She's 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 uh, a widow. Right. I'm going to guess she's probably 10 to 20 years older than yeah. he is. Uh, but he's decided, and she's not, you know, he goes through, she's not much of a looker. And the most of the story is really sort of this ramble of reminiscences about her and about his life. Uh, and she's, uh, she is a friend to the birds and he's, he's built this whole, this whole life that, um, you know, maybe she used to, there used to be a pigeon that would wake up and peck her on the lips Yeah, that would come in the morning. And maybe he's wondering, is the pigeon still alive? Uh, and he he goes. It's a it's a very short story filled with these reminiscences. And then, but you also have to. I mean, the title please. is a bender. But there's no bender yet. Yeah. Right. Although we have a narrator who does not seem all there. Right. Yeah. But but the but, but the bender isn't the the bender is the payoff, right? All right. Go ahead. So um, he uh, and he's he recounts, you know. All the things she, she she's been reading the Three Musketeers it seems forever right, forever yeah right and um and he he recounts all these uh all the postcards that uh, that she'd sent and at the end of the story after and again it's a very brief story he just kind of drops the fact that and then I found out that she was dead so I went back to the when I got back to the town I'd found out that she was dead and I met all my old friends and I didn't want to admit that I wanted to marry her. So we went out and I drank a lot of wine and he really, yeah, I got really drunk. I got really drunk. And the story is funny, but that is to me, the, and then I went back to details are funny. The details are funny. And the whole thing is sad. 
if that makes sense. All the details are funny. Um, but put together, it's sad. Yeah. It's sad. I mean, the landlady is sad. Yes. He depicts her as a sad, you know, she's a widow who's talk, and she's, you know, she's often sad. Right. So, um, does that sound like something you want to read? <laughs> but it is really but funny. But it is. It, I, I, yeah. You it, know, if you describe uh, Kafka, you know, would you say, oh, is that something, you know, that... that- well, I, I guess with Kafka, I think of something... That, Kafka seems to be the opposite, right? Which is, Kafka actually ends with a punch. Like, I think of the hunger artist and the whole the whole story. <laughs> he's he's finding what he's not eating and he's not eating and he's doing all these things for his art. And then at the end of his life, someone stops to ask him, why? Why have you done this? <laughs> and he says... Because I never found any food that I like. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, this is, but but this kind of has that too. It's it just, does and have then a we bit the, the, the but um bum is, and then I got out and got really drunk because right. I didn't want to admit to my friends that I was going to marry right. this old lady. But don't you think the whole episode, in a way, is a is a bender? Is is sort of a yeah. an interlude in a life of monotony? Um, well, <laughs> well, and also the laconic thing. I just have to read this. At the, uh, again, since we've 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 given a spoiler, so obviously the landlady dies. But his his description the landlady is has de- is been dead for a while. Costanza had died, but her relatives had left the parlor intact. The pigeon had a gammy leg. <laughs> I saw him. <laughs> He's really concerned about this pigeon, right? He's like the pigeon is rest this place. <laughs> He's he's not. Oh, I want. I hope the pigeon's dead alive. and the pigeon's not doing so hot. The pigeon's himself. not doing so hot, but at least the pigeon's alive. But he's got a gammy leg. Yeah. P- poor. Uh, I can't think. He doesn't. He's not identified, is he? The narrator. The narrator. I don't think we ever we ever get the narrator's name. No. No. Um, but I think it's. It, I think the the kind of return. I think the three musketeers is mentioned. Uh, gosh, I want to say it's mentioned like three times. Keeps, well, because she's always got that book, and she's not getting any any, any further, further into it. Right. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, because I don't believe that Totsi actually had read Kafka, but he's often described as being Kafkaesque. But he's undoubtedly read The Three Musketeers. Yeah. <laughs> or tried. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a ripping yarn. Um, so that's an example of Federico Totsi. There's, you know, a tiny element of some of the autobiographical, um, the, the way that. Yeah. I was kind of interested when you said a lot of his stuff is autobiographical because I, I, I don't read railway worker, but you think someone who's approaching 40 has already outlived Totsi. Right. But I do suspect that, um, perhaps he's alluding to his marriage and, you know, you reach a point where you're like, well, okay, if not now, then when, I guess there's always, even those, uh, someone uses autobiographical details, there's always the danger of reading something as a Romana Clef. I don't think there's, right, this isn't necessary. I, we shouldn't read this as Totsi's life. That he was pursuing his That he landlady. was pursuing his landlady. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did. He ha- did live in Florence briefly. But, but he was married. Yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. to his he landlady. Was, he was married, yes, and not to his landlady. Um, but although, you know, I just mentioned Florence, you know, he did live in Florence briefly and he did move to Rome. Gosh, um, 
I think it's about 1913. It's around the same time that he has a conversion or, I don't know, like a, a reversion to Catholicism. But interestingly, although he's physically, you know, geographically, he's moving away from Siena, he's actually very much drawn to the the Sienese saints, the big Sienese mm-hmm. saints, Saint San Bernardino of Siena and Santa Caterina of Siena. And we, we did do an episode many months ago mm, yes. yeah. of uh, St. Catherine of Siena. Yeah. So you might want to go back to that because we do talk a bit about Catherine's Siena, so like medieval Siena. Now we're talking about Siena of the early 20th century. And it's a, it's an interesting, I mean, it is still today, a very interesting city because so much of that old city retains the medieval quality. Yeah. And he talks about, in some of his works, he talks about these these streets, these narrow medieval streets that all lead to the center, which is um, the Piazza del Campo in, in Siena. But he also talks about this kind of vision. If you're in these streets, and it doesn't sound, I mean, for someone who's lived in, you know, I lived in New York City or who's used to these modern cities, I guess it doesn't sound so so uh, impressive, but he he often, or in several of his works, he describes a view from the city, these narrow streets looking up, and you just see blocks of blue sky that are, that the buildings are kind of limiting your vision, mm. which I think is interesting because we think of Siena as a, as a town, I mean, but it, it's a city and it's a closed in, because of that medieval quality, it's a hill, you know, hill, hill town. Yeah. it's also a hill town. Yes. As I, I, thought about when I was running one mm. day, that, that day that I was in Siena. I was trying to figure out a route to run around Siena where I wouldn't have too much uphill. But, you know, what goes up must come down, or what goes down must come up. So, or it, just run the Palio several times. Right. So that's what Piazza del Campo is best known for. Piazza del Campo is sort of that um, kind of like a clamshell-shaped piazza in the center of Siena. It really is the heart of the city. Um, it's a beautiful piazza. That's obviously a, a can't-miss site in Siena. And that's where the Palio, which is this famous horse race, where competing quarters of the city, different quarters of the city, each have a horse in the race. And they run, I can't remember how many times around the the campo. And you know, the, to the victor go the spoils. It's a huge celebration in Siena, not just for the ones who win, but obviously for for the entire city. And they run the Palio July 2nd and August 16th. So we're right in Palio season. I mean, it's a whole season of outdoor dinners and parties, um, and people take it very, very seriously. You know, so I think that's interesting. I, I don't know. I should have done my homework, but I don't know what quarter Tulsi was born into, mm. but I'm sure he aligned with that quarter for the rest of his life, even though he didn't live there. Right. You know, you're really in that in that neighborhood. You're really of that neighborhood. Can I can I do another like really bad analogy of what the story reminded me of? May I? You can. Okay. So if if you have have you ever seen the uh there's a far side cartoon where a guy is writing and a guy writes in his journal and says Boy, I really love Marge. I, I wonder if she knows knows that I'm alive. I think she's really great, but she might not even she might not even think about me. But maybe she maybe she likes me. I just don't know. And then you see Marge's journal, and in her journal she writes, "I really like vanilla ice cream." 
And I kind of think of that because he does this whole, it's not just about, it's about, you know, I've missed my, um, I, I'm, I'm really hoping that he, he has this whole elaborate thought of what it's going to be like when he proposes, finally proposes to and her. And it's not that he's really in love with this lady. No, you don't no, get that sense No, either. and it's not that she has some particular attachment to him either. Although he seems to, he says, oh, I'm now I'm sure that she really loves me, <laughs> right? But it does seem like this is, I'm They're 40 now. They're two lonely people. He's 40. She's single. You know, something's got to happen. She's dead. She's dead. Well, so <laughs> Nobody's perfect. The, the pigeon's still alive. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. Right. Um, other places to visit in Siena, and I, I don't know, we may be repeating ourselves from that episode if I... Uh, the Torre di Mangio, which is there in the piazza, you can go up to the top of the tower and have a beautiful view of the city. It is a beautiful city. Siena's, I, I love it. It's also very compact. I mean, Florence is actually pretty compact, but it's a much sure. bigger city. I think that Siena in some ways is m more manageable by foot, which is a good thing because car traffic is banned in the center. So you're, you're kind of stuck walking. Um, the Duomo, this black and white, very dramatic cathedral in Siena is, is an absolute must see as well as the baptistry, the whole Santa Maria della Scala network of buildings. So this was a complex that was kind of a, um, a medieval orphanage and, you know, um, also a convent. And it's open now with a series of museums that you can visit. And actually they had, I, I believe it's closed now, but they had a, a hostel there which is where I stayed three years ago when I walked the Via Francigena, which was really amazing to actually be staying in. It was the Casa delle Balie, which means the house of the wet nurses. So that's where yeah. I was staying. So they had these wet nurses who would, who would nurse the foundlings, you know, these, these orphan babies. Um, there's also the Civic Museum, which is very important for the, probably the best known is the Lorenzetti allegory of the good and bad government. I mean, Siena is a city that's very focused on civic pride and also just how do you run a, a city? Mm. I mean, I, I would say certainly Florence and, and the same, this is going around at the time in other places, but it's, it's something that I think really defines Siena. Like what is good, what is a good and what is a bad, what is a good government and what is a bad government? What, right. what are the differences? And when, when I did my, my walk started in Siena and Leonardo who Florentine, who graciously took me from Florence to Siena, as we were looking out said, you know, this is my favorite part of Tuscany. As he looked, looked down through Tuscany from Siena. Did he say, but don't tell anyone. In Florence. <laughs> right. But he, but he really, but he was, he was very earnest and said, this is, it's, this it's is a, my oh, favorite the, part of so yeah, sure. If you're in Siena, say if, I mean. It's worthwhile, especially if you've seen Florence and perhaps the Leaning Tower of Pisa. You've kind of crossed off your your must-sees. I think Siena can make a very strategic home base for exploring the Tuscan countryside. That area around Siena is gorgeous. It and is. it is also the home of some of the greatest vineyards. I was about to say, yeah. The, the, and the food is is fabulous. The um, the Chianti Colli Senese are is that what? What are we? No, having? this is no, this is a Chianti Classico. Okay, <laughs> close enough. <laughs> um, but also the food. I mean, you have the the wild boar. Um, you know, yes, there's the the pastas, and it's just the peachy, the peach. It's good stuff. Yeah, and no. as I said, I, I 
it wasn't until we were I was preparing for this episode that I thought, wait a minute, I actually ate at Federico Tozzi's father's <laughs> restaurant. Who I I don't know. I'm curious now if the owner is uh, is a Tozzi is a Tozzi or or some sort of relation. Yeah. That would be interesting. In addition, of course, I mean, go back to our episode on St. Catherine of Siena. Worth seeing in Siena is the the Basilica of um, of uh, San Domenico. Catherine was a Dominican uh, lay, uh, a third order Dominican, which means that she was not actually a nun. She was a of the third order. So first order being priests, second order being sisters and brothers, third order being lay. religious lay people. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see Catherine's head. I, I yeah, I've seen Catherine's head. <laughs> Just your head. I um. So you were you mentioned Minna Proctor, and you well right, we talked a so l- she little bit about yeah, yeah. So and you're you're working with Minna Proctor these days. Come on, give give a little yeah. for our, our listeners. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to have to find out more about some of the other. Well, you talk know, about I, your MFA. So you're oh okay. So tomorrow, full disclosure. Yeah. So I'm working on an MFA in creative nonfiction and literary translation. So translation from Italian into English. And um, yeah, I'm actually working with Minna, and I'll have to speak with her at this. I have a writing residency coming up, which is great because for the first time in a year, we're going to be able to meet in person. And I'll talk to her about Federico Tozzi. But Tozzi is kind of a in Italy. He's a he's he's a, huge. I, he's I don't huge really know why. I would like to see more translate. I mean, it's hard to get published to get translations sure. published. I mean, unless you're Anne Goldstein, you're translating Elena Ferrante. Um, it's hard to get these older and and they're so worth translating. They're, and they're so worth publishing. So. You know, take a look. You you may have to kind of hunt them down, Federico Tozzi, but I I think that you'll be glad you did. Yeah, because <laughs> he's a fun he's a fun read. Oh, don't don't open that 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 letter is intended for my old landlady. Sorry, what are you don't t- don't open that. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. Oh gosh, <laughs> going back to like oh yes, I remember my landlady, the one who had she that, was just so nice that pet pigeon that used to wake her up by pecking her on the lips. <laughs> <laughs> he's it's a very um it's sort of like uh, almost like an accountant like he yeah. he has in the ledger okay so i need this this okay she's single <laughs> you know she's she was always very kind didn't she Her always teeth have aren't the, the best teeth but you know yeah. there's some gaps so but. she will do that will be good i will get married and uh, you know, kind of, and you know, now that I think about it, I think she really liked me because she never told me to leave. She always said right. that she doesn't want any other boarder but me. Uh, I love. Maybe she really did. Maybe she did. All right, so Federico Tozzi, Siena, and um, I think that's it for today. All right, all right, uh, enjoy. Alla prossima. Ciao, ciao.